I think a, a big underlying theme with everything that we've talked about today is is really just being a little bit more forgiving and accepting of yourself and like all of your flaws and faults and the worst things you feel like about yourself. Um, you know, everybody's going to have days that just completely crash and the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you're going to establish a bit better of a plan and hopefully it'll go better for you. Um, but I think right now, the aside from some of the things we've talked about, I think one of the biggest things people can do and is really just be a bit nicer, a bit nicer to yourself and not be so self-critical with that, uh, like that feeling of like, man, I didn't get anything done in, during the day where it's like, you've been working pretty hard for about seven to eight hours here. You're just not completely done yet. So take it easy. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Relish Studio. Check them out on the web at relishstudio.com. They are a digital marketing firm devoted to purpose-driven business leaders, and their goal is to guide and support their customers as they realize the full potential of marketing to fuel both business and personal growth. Speaking from personal experience, I have worked with Relish on websites, logo design, and in fact, the editing of this very podcast. I can't say enough about them. And my friend Stu is just a wonderful human. He is totally in alignment in terms of environment and sustainability, two things I'm very passionate about. And in fact, their entire business is a 1% for the planet partner which means they're giving back a percentage of their revenue to environmental causes and organizations. I just love these guys. I can't say enough about them. If you decide to check them out and you want to hire them for a new job, make sure you mention the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast to them and they will offer you a 10% discount off of their normal rate on their first engagement with you. Check them out, relishstudio.com. Today's guest is Thomas Stott, a.k.a. T. Stott, as I've affectionately called him and known him for the last few years. I met Thomas here in the Golden Running community through our mutual friends, Deb and Ken, who own Runners High, one of our show sponsors. Thomas was recommended to me as someone who could really help me with my running. After taking a 20-year hiatus from running while I was bike racing, I was making my way back into running vis-a-vis the Ironmans that I was doing. And I definitely wanted to try and get faster. And I also knew that I wanted to clean up my running form. And last year, 2019, I decided to try and tackle Trans Rockies, which is a six-day ultra run. And so I hired him officially as my run coach to help me prepare for that. And I got to know Thomas pretty well through the coaching. He was instrumental for me in terms of not just putting together a really incredible running program, but also helping me process the life that comes up as you're in the midst of a heavy training schedule. And in fact, last year I was hit by a car in May after five solid months of training and prep for Trans Rockies, which resulted in me, unfortunately, not able to do the event. 
But I have to say that having a coach who doesn't just treat you as an athlete who needs to get their workouts done, instead having a coach who is constantly reminding me to put in the time for self-care, stretching, meditation, breathing, his coaching notes would often encourage me to make sure that I had quiet time, that I was eating well. If he saw that I was traveling or if he saw that I had a stressful event with work, he would absolutely work around that when it was time to figure out what workouts to have me do. And I felt really honestly like he had filled the role of a life coach in addition to being a run coach. He's also an incredible athlete himself, and I'm really proud of him because um, he credits me for this, but it was absolutely his own doing that he decided to sell his car and become a one-car household. He's been riding his bike to and from work pretty religiously for quite some time now, several months, even throughout the winter. And he's multifaceted. He's not just a run coach and a functional medicine guru and a Reiki practitioner and a athlete. He's also a school teacher. He also uh, is a co-owner, co-business owner with his wife. He's a dad and a furry baby owner, as he would refer to his dogs. Um, he's just an incredible human. He emanates and radiates uh, energy and He's just one of those people that you want to be around, especially when times are rough. So that's why I thought he would be a really fantastic guest to share with our listeners right now while the world is in upheaval and we are dealing with such increasing uncertainty on a day-to-day basis. In fact, selfishly, I knew that when I interviewed him, the interview would leave me feeling grounded and more at peace. And I was right. It absolutely did. Thomas and I also talk about other things, too not just running. Uh, We also talk about things like intermittent fasting, something I'm kind of uh, obsessed with, I suppose, or I'm at least experimenting with and seeing pretty, pretty great results. I'm always just looking for the ways to get the best output from myself, the best energy, the most consistent mood, the most consistent energy, and certainly the best uh, outcomes as far as my own training and workouts go, but also my performance in my professional life and in my personal relationships. So I'm always looking to get the most out of myself and am experimenting with things like intermittent fasting. Uh, I was a vegan in 2018 most of the year, and Thomas is also a vegan, so we share that in common. And, um, you know, we just have some fairly similar approaches to slowing down, taking deep breaths, grounding down, using exercise to manage stress and anxiety. And Thomas offers some great tips for all of those things, as well as just ways that we can be performing more self-care while we are cooped up in our homes during this virus quarantine phase that we are currently in. Um, You want to definitely check out Thomas on his website. He talks about how he's merging he and his wife's website together, and it's uh, elevationwellness.co. You can also find him on Instagram at elevation underscore running, and I highly recommend that you follow him there. Um, He's got some great stories, and I got to even hear a little bit more of them when we recently rode in the world record uh, spin class back on December 1st and 2nd. So I got to see a whole nother side of T-Stot while he was being stretched to the ultimate being put on the rivet during that 28-hour long spin class, which was really fun to see him completely crush it. And uh, I found out afterwards that he actually had a an exercise band stuck on the crank arm of his bicycle. And it was incredible to me that he held a whole three-hour segment with that extra resistance. Um, that's truly remarkable, honestly. 
Anyway, he's just a fantastic human. I'm so glad you get to experience him. I hope that you find this podcast as uplifting and as inspiring and grounding as I did. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you're looking for maximum enthusiasm, T-Stot is definitely your guy. Let's dig in. Uh, I've got a wonderful, energetic this radiant human on my show today. His name is Thomas Stott, aka T Stott, as I've come to know him and call him. Uh, Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I think it's a long time coming with us trying to link something up and, and scheduling multiple times. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I'm so thankful for your willingness to carve out some time to put things in perspective. We are talking on March 19th of 2020 in the midst of the COVID uh, lockdown. Basically, you've got your kids at home and it's never an easy time, but I think at least my impetus for asking you to be on the show now more than ever is because the information you can deliver is stuff that I believe listeners need to hear and want to hear as they're sitting at home trying to make sense of everything, trying to put in some parameters around screen time and working remotely with respect to managing health and wellness and even just looking for guidance from people that obviously know the ins and outs of, of the health and wellness field, as you do. So where I'd really like to t- tee this off and just kick us off straight away is if you had to give some very direct and specific advice to the people sitting at home right now who are in a tailspin, they're working from home perhaps for the first time ever, they're managing kids at home, their health and wellness protocol and regimen has gone by the wayside they may or may not be eating as healthy as they normally do. Give us some quick tips. Give us some takeaways. Give us some specific direction. How do we care for ourselves in the midst of all of this? So I want to start by saying that no human is a perfect human. Um, somebody <laughs> that talks about this stuff all the time, and I'm constantly, or my wife is constantly, we practice together, like ch- I'm checking myself, I'm checking her. So I think this is stuff for everybody, including myself, as a good reminder. The first thing I would say to do is to carve out, you know, right in the beginning of the day, one minute, two minutes, five minutes of some type of self-care time. For me right now, the self-care time that I've fallen into that I've bonded really well with is called Reiki, which is a Japanese energy technique that promotes healing and relaxation. For other people, it could be hopping on Headspace or the Calm app, or simply looking outside right now is a great time to find some, if you live in Colorado, some free mental relaxation by just watching the snowfall. Um, Bonus points if you open your door and just listen to the snowfall because it's very quiet. But starting your day by kind of hitting that reset button, um, that reset button is a term that we end up using because even though you're like, But Megan, it's the beginning of the day. That's the reset button in itself. Uh, You, as much as anybody with everything that you're into, you know that life can easily be a constant 24-hour stream. You carry the same stresses in from the day before right into your next day, and the cycle just never ends. So I would say that is step one. Do something for you. Like watch your coffee pot drip. Do something that just involves a little bit of mindlessness. And then the second piece is make a plan. Um, as a coach, that's what I do, right? As I make plans up, but trying to establish a plan, whether it's with your, your spouse, your partner, your roommate, um, setting up with your kids, establish something 
hey, we're going to do this for an hour. I'm going to give you this amount of free time for a little bit. Um, kind of set the set the stage for the day so that you don't find yourself at four o'clock not knowing what's for dinner, um, feeling like you got a lot done but did nothing, and feeling guilty and, and tail spinning out <laughs> right into the next day. I think you touched on that last comment you made was brilliant because I suspect everyone, myself included right now, is experiencing what you just described as feeling in motion and busy all day. And yet at the end of the day, did I actually get anything accomplished? Do I actually have anything to show for this? Or am I merely pacing in circles? So with things as crazy as they are, how do we help people settle down and slow down? Where, where does that come from? And I know you do a ton of breath work. What can people do for themselves to slow down? So a couple skills. So I'm, I'm currently also teaching remotely to a group of sixth graders. So I teach sixth grade science at a middle school in Commerce City, Colorado. Um, I'd always wanted to teach. And that's before we got on this podcast, we talked about wearing different job hats. Um, this year, I decided that I would pick up a temporary substitute license and give the teaching thing a go and see if you know I, I enjoyed it as much as I felt like I would. And it's been a blessing. But one of the things I bring up with the kiddos is we do square breathing. So it's in for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds at the top of that inhalation, exhale for four seconds, and then hold your breath at the bottom of that exhalation for four seconds. It's something that we do that it doesn't seem like it's that much, but one cycle takes you just about 20 seconds, right? So we do about three cycles. You'd be surprised how many people start to panic, and they panic at that exhalation because we're so used to taking that next breath right away and it's it's programmed Mm -hmm. in our autonomic system to do so but when you ask somebody to exhale and then not breathe for four seconds some people have a lot of trouble with it what it does though do for you is it helps reset you know the fact that the autonomic system this fight or flight you know feedback loop that's part of that whole thing kind of works on its own. It works without our cues, but we've sent it into a working all the time system that it, we'd never have a come down. So hitting that, uh, that refresh almost on that with this square breathing technique can be something that works really well. One thing I work with with my kids when I see them start to get upset, um, something I've done with myself more and more, is we just call it the five senses. So you look around and you, you have to voice this stuff. When you give your voice to anything you're feeling, you give it life. Whereas if you just internalize it, it's easy to dismiss it as just another thought. So we do five senses. Megan, right now where you're sitting, tell me three things that you see. I see my computer. I see the snow falling outside. And I see my coffee sitting in my coffee mug. Okay, perfect. So that's one example. We then go through the four other senses. I'd ask you to feel three different things. Um, See if you can taste. What do you remember tasting from your last meal? Uh, What can you smell? Give me some of the smells. And and all these things put you in touch with stuff that you really just don't pay much attention to unless it's a new stimulus. When I walk into somebody's house, I'm like, oh, it smells really refreshing in here, like uh, like a fresh vanilla candle. Um, it's a new stimulus for me. If it's your house and that's what it always smells like, it's going to be hard for you to pick up on that. So between square breathing and five senses are two real easy tools. 
that you could do yourself or you could help with your kiddos that just help you hit that pause button and force you to do something uh, that you necessarily wouldn't do otherwise. I love that. And I think a lot of people are home with children right now, just trying to figure out how to how to work remotely and how to manage the kiddos. And I think this is wonderful advice for all of us, humans, uh, adults and children alike to implement. And I think it's more necessary now than it ever has been. Um, we jumped right in with some tips, but I do want to go back a little bit and talk about you because we originally met when I was referred to you for help with my running as I was just getting back into my running career after like a 20 year hiatus of not running And you were instrumental in helping me get my feet back on the ground, literally and figuratively. Um, Tell us about your running coaching and really what the evolution of that practice was and also what you're doing with people remotely in the running coaching space. Yeah, so thank you for those kind words. Like They mean so much. Every time I hear stuff like that, I can't tell you how heartwarming it is. But yeah, if you think about what your superpower is, I think every person has a superpower. And I think my superpower lies in being able to look at somebody's gait and kind of pick stuff out right away. I just, I have an eye for it. And I promise you, I'm a very uh, humble person normally. I know those words sound, you know, a bit egotistical, but I've been encouraged because I get such good feedback working with people uh, to kind of share that. So I I think my superpower is around watching people run. And whereas that doesn't help change the world, you know, in one instance, like a a Superman or Superwoman would would save a bunch of people, I I think it has a lot of really great application long-term. Because you look at running, a sport like running can be so cruel. As a continuous activity where you just, you move and you move or swimming or cycling, these continuous activities where it's never usually, you know, one thing that's like the dagger. It's that missing one or 2% of efficiency that gets you after 10 years or after 20 years. And then at that point, it's, it leaves you scratching your head with like, hey, I really like to run and I can't do it right now and I can't figure out why. And going and addressing that one thing, like, you know, I have this pain in my high hamstring and going and receiving therapy for it is usually only part of the solution. We need to look at the movement as a whole. And I think that's where uh, I found a lot of success. And that's where I found this this ability to work with people. And it, it started uh, it started a long time ago before I had kids and, and being able to give form cues. You know, I was very well read between um, the pose method and Danny Dreyer's chi running. I found a lot of inspiration and in kind of looking at the body of as a whole uh, from some of those methods of, of coaching running. And I had children and I snapped this picture of my daughter running down the beach. She was in a two piece, you know, a little bikini and a floppy hat and some sparkly sunglasses. <laughs> and I snapped this picture and bam, it was like, picture perfect running form, like out of a textbook, which you would want to see. And, you know, I was telling people at the time, I'm like, I'm not the crazy dad that's coached this into my one and a half year old. You know, it's, it's something she just does. It's innate. So I, we, I went back to, to all of my information and my coaching cues and I kind of reworked it to the point where it was this deliverable model of, of teaching somebody some really uh, easy ways to influence their running form for the better. 
And I, I found out I could start working with people like overseas. I, I had friends of friends in the UK. I remember the first time I hopped on a, a FaceTime with somebody, this, uh, this pro ultra runner out of, out of England. And we were doing stuff. He lived on a houseboat. <laughs> so I'm doing oh, wow. stuff on a FaceTime conference. He's on his houseboat boat and we're making it work. And it was just afterwards, I'm like, man, I really think we could do this. So it became something that I didn't need to uh, to be in person with. I could I could have people shoot a little bit of video or have somebody set a phone up against a wall even. And the amount of stuff that we could get done and cover in regard to running forum and mechanics kind of grew exponentially from there. And so people, if they want to find out more about your running business on Instagram, it's at Elevation Running. And your website is Elevation Running CO. Is that right? Yeah. So I, we've, we're kind of shifting some stuff around right now okay. on Instagram is, is probably the easiest. That's where, um, I've been storing a bunch of content that hopefully I'll be able to get out now here in the next couple of weeks, but it's elevation underscore running. Okay. And then our, we're blending, um, our health and wellness and this elevation running company, uh, all into one as my wife and I are tired of each managing our own business. Sure. So we'll all be under the umbrella elevation wellness.co. So it's elevation wellness, one word.co. Perfect. And that's going to have links to all my running stuff and, and all that fun content. But yeah, it's been really neat, uh, connecting with people. Uh, we do a bunch of live seminars that, uh, my wife specializes in some very specific chronic conditions in the physical therapy and naturopathic healing world that, We've done some neat webinars and it's just, it's crazy how technology is able to connect us and, and how we're able to do these things that, you know, even 10 years ago, you know, I would have had to attend a live seminar to, to deliver this information. Sure. Well, especially now with social distancing and all of us being asked to stay at home, having access to that content online is, is more important and more critical than ever. And also the opportunity to reach people since they are at home and perhaps slowing down their daily pace, having the, the time and the bandwidth to be able to take advantage of some of this content and to be able to schedule a running forum consult with you. You know, what better way to spend a day at home once your work is done? Uh, it sounds like a pretty fantastic investment in oneself, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really cool. I worked yesterday with my, he's actually taught me English in uh, the ninth grade and uh, I've, we've kept in touch and he reached me out. He reached out to me uh, through some so- social channels. Uh, he's a cyclist. He's a brand ambassador for Hincapie. And he's been having some IT band stuff. And we were able to hop on a quick uh, tele-appointment, you know, FaceTime conference. So I think, I think that stuff's going to grow in the next com- uh, the upcoming weeks where we just finished drafting a little uh, sales pitch, if you will, not a sales pitch, but, a uh, a, a sales plan, uh, to be able to offer some discounts to people as we know that while this stuff sounds great in application and we think it's certainly worth it, everybody's really watching where their money's being spent right now with so many people being unemployed. So yes. trying to find a nice blend of respecting that and, and not feeling like we're taking advantage of people in the situation, but, but instead being a resource and being there to help people. Absolutely. I can personally say I've never once felt like you were 
out to take people's money. I've always felt like you are, you are a conduit for education and sharing information. And I have no doubt that anyone that reaches out to you will, will either get their money's worth or get plenty of free advice and, or will feel like their time and, and investment was well worth it. And then some, uh, you are always just such a wonderful resource of information and insight that I learn something from you all the time. In fact, I've been thinking a lot about you because we, for our listeners, uh, you and I just rode in a world record spin class back in December and we spent 28 hours together on spin bikes. And you told a story about geese and the way that they fly and how they drop back to uh, pace up one of their buddies into the pace line. And I still don't know if you were kidding or telling the truth, but I think about that every time I see birds flying in the sky now. <laughs> you know, I should just leave it up to, you know, who knows if I was telling the truth or we were all delusional. Uh, but yes, you and I did ride in the world record ride, the world record. which was an amazing accomplishment and uh, something that I will certainly never forget. Um, it's also hard to kind of remember the day at the same time because it right. seemed like it was... And it seemed like it came and gone and it seemed like it took forever. So totally. Yeah. No, the geese, the geese, this is from national geographic. So not a lie, not made up. Uh, the geese, when they fly in that V formation, they, they plan on helping to cut wind, just like we draft on the bike off each other. And that the honks that you hear are from what this national geographic program, uh, you know, let, let me in on was that they were honks of encouragement for that front goose that is pulling the other geese along. And that if they have to drop back for a natural AKA, they need to relieve themselves (laughs) that they'll drop back at least with one other goose or or multiple geese so that they can pace each other back up into that big flying V, which it sounds like I'm like, we should have been studying goose tactics in the cycling world forever. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you, you know, at what point exactly. in the story Tour de France, like drafting was allowed, but <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess it's when they started researching geese. I'm just saying. <laughs> Every time I'm outside and I hear a goose honk, since you told me that story, I feel encouraged. <laughs> I just want to say thanks for that. Like they're cheering me on. So yeah, for sure. So for also, everyone out there, listen, oh, go ahead. With my animal uh, curiosities, I also just found out that cats meow only to humans when they want something. They don't meow to each other. Oh, interesting. So that's a unique communication. Um, I've realized that my cats want food. Um, but perhaps I'm, I'm, you know, maybe, maybe they're looking for the snuggles too in the, in the, in the uneasy times right now. Who knows? Isn't that something? I love it. Yeah. You're so tuned in to just all the feels, which is part of your magic for sure. Um, and speaking of, let's talk about, you mentioned Reiki earlier. You've done it on me. I've experienced it. I I understand the basic concepts of it. It's energy work. It's non-touch energy work, but, um, I know you've been on this own, your own personal journey to what you call finding calm and, you know, are you willing to share that with our listeners about how they might also be on that path? Yeah. Um, so I'm somebody that I'm so good at putting a mask on. I'm, I'm since high school, I remember when people used to tell me, you know, before we had these ideas about expressing feelings and emotion, you know, I just, I grew up with the persona, with the identity of like, Oh, Tom, that guy that's always happy. And I was like, well, I guess that's me. 
And, you know, around college time, when I started to realize, you know, when things get real, right. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't always happy. I had a big conflict with, you know, like, do I even know who I am? Because I thought I was this one person through high school. I was assured by, you know, friends and family, not to their fault by any means. No. That I was this really happy-go-lucky person. And I think, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I do think that's who I am. Uh, it's important, I think, and I'm glad it's come out that no person is always like that. And that I certainly have some days that I feel like are, are pretty dark and deal with quite a bit of anxiety. I think it comes with my brain that always feels turned on and, and keyed in. Uh, and for that, I've always looked for um, yeah, some way to kind of uh, find calm. Like you said, that's why I say it like that, to find a little bit of peace. And for me, I always thought it was running. And because that's where I, you know, like you've heard from so many people, right? It, you can get out of your own head and thoughts, you know, become that much easier. You get into sure. a flow state, if you will. And I think that helped immensely and and to be able to associate that with that. But what happens when you're not running? What happens when you're injured? What happens when, you know, you have your first child and your, your, your priorities completely shift. Um, Even though we like to think of ourselves as, you know, really good at self-care, even the best of us are really bad at times. So, yep. I started dating my now wife in 2006, and what was really cool is I, I she's been in the martial arts, Megan, forever since she was like seven years old. She studied in uh, taekwondo or taekwondo, right? So um, I really appreciated, we, we came from a, a pretty similar spiritual background, and what I really appreciated in watching her, I'd go to some of her tests, is um, the ritual that was in having like a headmaster of a studio and, you know, they would meditate before class and, but they would never call it meditation. It was just like finding some stillness. And that ritual I realized is, is part of what I craved. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a uh, church going family. Um, I, I considered myself pretty agnostic and open-minded. I, I believe in a God. I, I don't really know what's out there. I'm excited to find out one day. Um, but I, I kind of craved, I realized that not having like a church growing up, that not having, you know, this type of practice is the ritual is that, that really is what I wanted more so than, more so than anything. So I, I just, I fed off her energy for a number of years and would do some stuff with her here and there. And oddly enough, my wife got into Reiki work a number of years ago and touted about its amazingness. And of course, I'm, uh, I'm upfront. I'm a scientist and a bit uh, skeptical of anything different and new, but I tried it out and had a phenomenal experience. Ah. And it was just, it was, uh, it was really cool. It was just special. And it was something that I knew I'm like, this is going to be my ritual. This is where I'm going to find kind of what I've been looking for. So I started training under somebody a couple of years ago and it's something that I do. Uh, you mentioned it's really cool because it's non-contact. So we end mm-hmm. up working with a lot of patients and clients that that have a lot of trauma and they don't even tolerate things like massage, things that, sure. you know, you and I would be like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we follow the seven in in my style of, of learning from my master. We follow the seven 
uh, chakras or chakras, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, much from like the yoga culture, if you're a yogi, uh, you've certainly associated uh, different poses and, and breast styles with the different chakras in the body. But yeah, we look to restore and rebalance the communication between those chakras. And that's what makes it really cool is that you can take somebody with, we'll kind of make up a scenario here, that's that has that's really enlightened, that's just this magical person. You feel really good when you're around them and they have great ideas. Um, but the person feels like they struggle to perhaps uh, voice their opinion in a relationship or they carry a lot of stress in their solar plexus, which is an area that we house familial and relationship stresses. Um, so they feel like their heart is really blooming. They feel like they have a lot of ideas, but they can't voice themselves or they have a lot of stress or they have uh, di- difficulties with um, some trauma from childhood. So any number of those things, you know, take those an easy visual is think about the chakras as like seven wind fans that are stacked on top of each other, all blowing the same direction. Now, put put a block in one of those chakras. It is like you put a big sheet of metal on top of one of the fans. It's going to disrupt the flow of energy on the fans below it and then on the fans above it. Now, that's just one block. Put a couple blockages in there, maybe for some childhood trauma, maybe from a super toxic and stressful work environment. And now all of a sudden, that person that had uh, energy balance and really good flow to them is is very disruptive, and that's something that you go to a typical. Uh, and I'm from the Western medical field, so I am by no means, and I still very much practice in it. I'm by no means bashing it, but you go to a typical uh, physician and tell them you feel off, and you're generally going to leave with a prescription for something. Sure. Yes. So it, it's been eye opening for me, and and. Uh, you mentioned that word conduit. What's really neat is that that as a Reiki practitioner, that's all you are. You're not a healer. You're just a conduit. The only thing that you provide is an access for energy to flow. Wow, that's so cool. in the same way that it's calming for me to practice on myself, I end up getting Reiki when I'm practicing Reiki on somebody, which is probably the coolest thing on the planet. Absolutely. That's pretty special. Well, let's get specific here. What does an actual self-Reiki practice look like? You talked about how you've instituted this as your regimen, and this is your journey to calm. This is something that's serving you well. It sounds like you're doing this on a nearly daily basis. What does that practice actually look like for you, and how much time do you set aside for it? So I, when I did it, when you, when you start training with somebody, you're usually asked to go on like a little journey on your own somewhere between three to four weeks where you kind of commit to doing it daily. And as you're learning that, I'd say it's probably about 20 to 30 minutes, which still isn't asking too, too much. Excuse me. You could do that at the end of the day if you have kiddos after they go down and do it before bed. Sure. But my daily practice now is um, I, I want to have a little bit more time. Some days it's 20 or 30 minutes, but it's whittled down to about 10 to 15 minutes worth of work. It starts with a really quick energy clearing. So I get into a kneeling position and you go through a few motions that helps almost hit the refresh, refresh button on you. 
So I've done this at work before. I've started to teach some of my students how to kind of brush off the negative energy uh, from maybe a previous uh, class or an altercation with another student. But it's just a couple minutes that you take to center yourself. From there, I usually do this lying down when I'm at home. I'm just lying down flat on a yoga mat. And I take my hands and I just as if I was practicing above uh, somebody else, I would hold my hands right above your head in about a half inch to an inch above it. I do the same things to myself. And I follow those same, since you mentioned I've practiced on you, mm-hmm. I follow yep. those same positions, but it's just me hovering above uh, the chakras on my own body. And every practitioner has a different way to interpret sensations. Uh, and, and it's certainly unique to the individual. What I find is that the way that I almost interpret things is with heat. So when I feel a nice warming sensation in my hands and between my hands and my head, for example, I move on to the front of my face and I cover my eyes and then I move on to my ears and I work through the various spots until I kind of find that they kind of warm up and I feel this nice, uh, pleasant warmth present. And it usually takes about somewhere in the realm of 10 breaths per spot. So I I work my way. You start at the head and we work down to the feet and we work in that order um, because they say that if you start at the feet and work up sometimes, when you finish on the crown chakra, it leaves you feeling kind of spacey and, and and kind of far out there. Whereas if you finish with the feet, it leaves you feeling grounded. That so makes sense. The way that, that I was instructed. But um, afterwards, I open it up my eyes and I do it with my eyes closed. I open up and I feel good to go. Um, it's been cool, too, because my kids uh, know the practice. And if they happen to come out early, um, they can benefit from just being near all that positivity. So my my son this morning came and laid in between my legs like I I veed my legs out and he came and snuggled on my thigh as I was finishing up. So that's really uh, cool. What a neat visual. Yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it's pretty special. Um, I will assume you're going to agree with me on this, but this meditative Reiki, frankly, is just sitting still and breathing practice, whatever we, whatever we call it or however we institute it in our day is, absolutely critical it's absolutely critical for us and it doesn't have to be big to be impactful and be powerful does it it doesn't and that's what i said starting your day with like take one minute and watch the coffee pot drip um one of my go-tos with some of my clients that are super anxious is like who doesn't like a campfire like staring at a campfire i don't think there's a person on the planet that that doesn't (laughs) find that the most soothing thing um, I just have people light a candle and watch the candle burn um, and Perfect. see the see it flicker, maybe blow a soft little breath at it and watch it dance around at you and then resume, resume that that normal stoic flame. Uh, but yeah, I, I you know it's I'm I constantly contradict myself with my kids too, and that's that's they're one of my biggest teachers because we'll be standing in a line waiting, you know, order something. And they're like, you know, daddy, I'm bored. Or can I do this? Or uh, this is boring or something. And one of the things that I have told them for a long time is like, I need to teach you how to be bored. 
That's right. Um, and then I, I, I look around and every adult in line is, you know, on a phone and I don't have a problem with that. I'm one of those people at, at, at times too. But the key is that you should be able to wait in line at Sprouts and just look around or perhaps just smile at somebody and, or not be in that phone and, and constantly plugged in um, and, and be bored. I think that's something that adults can work on as a skill, which is something I've seen you post on numerous times, which you kind of alluded yes. to in this, this comment question. Yes. Uh, and one book I read that was really pivotal and, and persuasive was Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And he talks about, especially with our young people, how we have essentially eradicated boredom because we've given ourselves a tool to keep us distracted 24-7. So I'm like you. I love standing in line at the grocery store, and I really love and appreciate my interactions with the people checking out my groceries. And I find that the more I ask, the more they often want to share. And if you're not in a hurry and you listen, you always learn something incredible and given our current space and where we're at right now, just a couple of days ago when I was at Sprouts, I was telling the cashier I thought he was a hero because I know those folks are working their faces off right now. And he looked at me just so sincerely and he said, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much that means. We're all just in here trying to do our best. It almost made me laugh because, you know, they're trained to do this. But as you set your groceries on the belt to be checked out, he said, did you find everything you needed? And I know they're trained to say that, but of course they're saying that when three-fourths of the store is empty at this point and the shelves are empty and it was <laughs> so, so kind and so sweet. You know, I think the answer safely is that no, no one's finding everything that they needed, but I still found plenty and he shared several other things and I could even sense the people behind me getting a little agitated in line because he was continuing his conversation with me. But yeah. You know, none of that. I miss all of that if my face is in my phone. And so I love what you're saying about just appreciating Well, you're really good. Yeah, you're really good with semantics too and and words. And you said something there that kind of made me think. And even that that from a capitalism standpoint, did you find everything you needed? Like we could totally (laughs) reframe that entire phrase because – Look at what was on you know, the belt and, you know, for all of us, do we really need all that, especially right no. now, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm loving all of this. I'm loving where this conversation is going. One of the things that was definitely on my list to talk to you about, especially as people are home and they're just trying to put some structure in place for their day. I think you and I are both in agreement that you need to have some sort of morning ritual, especially now. Uh, And you've shared some of your tips for that. And I love that. I tend to do my meditation at night before bed, similar to you. But I also have a bit of a morning morning routine around, you know, coffee and journaling. Um, But I also want to talk about the nutritional issue right now, which is that many of us have stocked up food, anticipating that we may be asked to stay at home for a period of time. And so we're trapped in our homes. It's super easy and super tempting because of nerves, because of anxiety, because of boredom, call it whatever you want to sort of be eating nonstop all day long and probably over caffeinating too, quite frankly. And what I suspect 100% guilty of the over caffeinating. (laughs) What I suspect people are experiencing as a result is you add the stress and anxiety plus all the screen time plus this essentially nonstop snacking and eating is killing our sleep right now. And I know that you have adopted intermittent fasting and I certainly have been experimenting with it 
where I try to curtail calories just from noon until eight o'clock at night. Um, and I just want you to talk about, you know, why is that so beneficial and why are we seeing more and more kind of CEOs and leaders and people in the biohacking space espousing this as such a powerful tool for energy management? Yeah. You know, I think it's something, I think that's a great feeding window that you have, by the way, from, from 12 to eight, that kind of hits this sweet spot where you've been up for a little while and, you know, the motor's humming and you're ready and, and you've really drummed up a, a good appetite to be able to stop eating, especially to start to rather to start eating, especially as an athlete. I think it's gotten so much, received so much buzz and, and hype, rightfully so, just because it's something different. You know, it's not a, you need to eat this or you need to be in you know, this uh, belief system, you know, in terms of how you should eat. The only thing it really says, it, it's simple. It says, just don't eat all damn day, you, you know? That's right. It's, That's right. <laughs> and it's, you know, from, I, and it's something that, uh, it, it just makes it so much easier for people because coming from somebody that, you know, I worked in a pretty early to arrive medical job, you know, we'd be on at, at 6.30 a.m. So I'm leaving the house early I'd be, you know, slamming down some breakfast on the way and then eating throughout the day. And when you tack on stress, here's what I feel is, is the best thing from it. You look at the, the autonomic nervous system. So your vagal nerve that innervates your entire GI system, that nerve has more nerve endings than the entire rest of your spinal cord which like chew on that for a second, the vagal nerve that innovates the GI system, more nerves and more innervations than the entire rest of your spinal cord. And you're like, how is that possible? Like, dude, I am a cyclist. Like I move my body. That's a ton of muscular work. Right. Well, when you break it down, the motor units that control all those, you know, big voluntary muscle contractions that you use when you're, when you're uh, sending your way up Lookout Mountain, Right. Those like one motor unit so that one nerve will control a whole bunch of muscle fibers. So when you look down in the GI system, though, you don't voluntarily digest your food. It's no. done for you. We have peristalsis, which moves your food through your intestines. And all of that is done with this nice rhythmical wave-like firing of the smooth muscle in all those intestines. That is a lot of muscle. That's a lot of innervation. So when you start to tie together the fact that when we already touched on this before, people are largely dysregulated in that autonomic system. They're chronically stressed. They're in fight or flight mode. They're, they're always on. Does any digestion happen there? No. Absolutely not. When you're fighting the saber-toothed tiger, going to the bathroom is not your concern. Yeah, exactly. And you know, even as athletes, you know, ask an athlete, when's your best time to digest when you're relaxing or when you're in the middle of your sport? You know, it's <laughs> like, nobody's going for that giant meal. Oh, okay. We'll stay off the ultra runners for right now. Right. Sure, sure, but sure. Nobody's going for that giant meal when they're moving because they know that's not where the blood is, uh, you know, there for, for them to, to go through that pattern. So for the person that's chronically, I mean, take the, the big market, uh, CEO that you mentioned, like he or she is under quite a deal of stress and probably has, has dealt with for some amount of time 
at minimum, a non-diagnosed GI disorder, right? They're only one step away from being put on a pill or something. And when all of a sudden you say like, hey, I know you're totally dialed on the stress. Let's have you get through the workday on some liquids. And when you're on the back half, after you get through those really stressful meetings and your systems calm down, then we'll eat. And you do that and all of a sudden that systemic stress load decreases and now they're eating food and they're actually digesting it and not left feeling like, you know, they have a gut bomb for the rest of the day. That's, that's really where I think um, it's grown. And that's why I think rather I should say it's really been adopted so well by these higher level people in society. You know, and I want to add to that one other question I wanted to ask you. I agree with all that. And basically, if you look at eating and digestion as another form of stress, you're just trying to unstack the levels of stress and spread them out a bit more during the day. I also had never thought about what the fight or flight, the systemic stress that we were not built to handle where it does not start and stop. It's just continuous and systemic. What that does to our digestive system and how so many people have GI disorder Um but the other issue is that eating is actually oxidative and it can, um, I believe, or I've read that it can increase cortisol and oxidative stress and, um, and basically oxidative damaging side effects. In other words, a hard workout is beneficial, but it also does leave behind it some destruction in terms of the oxidative damaging effects. Similarly, digesting a meal can do the same thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that and why it's actually better to sort of restrict the amount, I should say the number of meals that we eat during the day? Yeah, sure. So when we look at, you know, we know this word homeostasis, which is balance, which, you know, let's talk briefly about that word balance because we always talk about finding balance and (laughs) I think it's, it's something like health or fitness, like nobody's ever like, I am the fittest ever. Like when I've right. worked with you or I know you in your fittest of like fit times in your life, if I asked you like, all right, Megan, this is the fittest you've ever been. How are you feeling? You'd probably have been like, well, I could be a little fitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you could always be a little healthier. You could of always be a little can. bit more in balance. So, and and that's what the body is is constantly striving to do. So in regard to stress load and what it needs to do, anytime you subject the body to any physical stimulus, whether it's exercise, um, drinking alcohol, caffeine consumption, eating, it's going to have to work to regain that balance. And that work is going to come with byproducts. It's going to come with, you know, a feeling of fatigue, depending on where you're at with everything. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be work for some people. Um, it's going to feel like, depending on your overall, if we think of the body's, uh, we'll call it systemic load, if uh, as like yep. a red solo cup, yep. and fill up that red solo cup with some just some constant life stresses like uh, bills, and if you have kids or fur babies, if your dog is sick, like all these things add up. And then we add in some acute work stress and some acute societal stress right now and a whole bunch of changes in uh, normalcy. Eventually that red solo cup overflows. And what are you going to do? What tools do you have to be able to help reduce some of that load uh, is kind of what we're going for here. And by 
restricting, like you had mentioned, just a little bit of food. It's not like we're asking you not to eat. We're just asking you to eat in a window um, where it doesn't force the body to be doing one extra thing all day long. All the time. Yep. You know, a a lot of the, the science, the, you know, one of the biggest studies that is a proponent for, for not as much for intermittent fasting. It's, it's dubbed as caloric restriction is this big mammalian study with monkeys where, you know, monkey in the control group got normal monkey chow and, uh, you know, they're fed X amount of times a day and got this much exercise. And the monkeys in the experimental group got about, got the same monkey chow, same life conditions. They just had about two thirds the quantity. And at the end of this experiment, when, when monkeys passed, the monkeys in the experimental group did not live that much longer but their quality of life was far superior. They looked like they hit the gym every day. They were like, they ripped, they were ripped. They looked strong and healthy. They looked vibrant. They were just passing away in their sleep. They weren't dying of things like heart disease and some of these Western pathologies. Yeah. That we've kind of, you know, adopted into society, sadly. So that caloric restriction, you know, those two words in the, in the air quotes diet space, um, are really going to be unhealthy for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where where IF where where fasting kind of falls in the sweet spot. Where I'm like, you know, guy, if you want to go and get that X, Y, or Z, like do it. Just don't do that all day long. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I'll just share, I I stumbled into this. It really wasn't intentionally, but I started reading uh, about biohacking, Dave Asprey, Bulletproof, this whole business of combining fats with coffee first thing in the morning. Yeah. I found myself just simply not hungry and realizing that I really wasn't hungry until noon and that by eight o'clock I was done being hungry and I wanted to stop eating well before bed because I know all the benefits of that. And what I'll say is that It wasn't done specifically on purpose, but what intermittent fasting or eating within that eight-hour window has really done for me is reconnected me to my sense of being hungry or full. Instead of eating mindlessly all day long, especially when we're on our screens and cell phones scrolling, it's so easy to just grab a handful of this or a mouthful of this and just be consuming mindlessly, not even chewing our food, not even aware at all if we're hungry or full. I've really enjoyed getting back to the sense of, yeah, wow, I actually am really hungry right now. So I'm ready and excited to eat instead of just, I woke up and I, I need to eat breakfast, even though I have zero appetite for what I'm about to put in my mouth. And so right. for me, it's really raised that level of consciousness. That's cool. And, and it's neat because breakfast is just breaking the fast. So, you know, it's not like you can't <laughs> right. eat your favorite breakfasty things, you know, at noon. Um, one thing that I, that I think it does do well for people is, is it really encourages thinking about what you're eating. And hopefully, if you have the capacity to cook for yourself or to cook for your family, to start doing that. Because as my friend and uh, very talented writer, Kelly Madrone, uh, wrote a, br- a pretty brilliant piece on self-care. And she kind of harped the fact that, you know, if you think about eating as a chance to practice you know, self-love really, if we're, if we're more concerned and aware of what we're eating and how often you'll be that much more likely to, instead of just reaching for that easy bowl of cereal to say like, you know, I'm going to make myself something. Maybe I'll spend a little extra time to 
to slice some fruit or do it in a different way that's fun for me or create something or make something up and try something new, you know, instead of just going for that, the fast and easy. 100%. And what has shaped my relationship with eating and specifically, specifically with meal prep is joining a local food co-op here a couple years ago called Go Farm, which I know you're familiar with them and being forced to learn and prep new foods that I would not historically have ever bought in the store and realizing how much I enjoy that intentional, uh, really specific practice of preparing a piece of food that was grown locally by someone's hands with a great deal of care and love and was picked and, and provided to me the day or two after it was harvested, I felt almost a sense of responsibility to care for that food the way that it was cared for before I got it. And with that has come this whole new love and appreciation for meal prep. And to your point earlier, I love making breakfast burritos. I make egg white breakfast burritos with spinach and salsa and jalapenos. Calorically, they're not that high in calories. They do pack a bunch of protein. And then I freeze them and I make a bazillion of them and I freeze them. And I really don't eat one until noon, which is when I first get hungry. So you can save your favorite items and eat them later. But uh, I would say those burritos probably cost me maybe $2 a piece if I priced out the ingredients. And sometimes I go, you know, meatless options too. It can just be all veggies or it can just be rice and beans. I mix it up. You know, it's a super affordable way of feeding yourself well. What a fun family activity. And then as as we're saying here over and over again, just being intentional and conscious with what we're putting in our mouths. Yeah, and for sure. And I think a, a big underlying theme with everything that we've talked about today is is really just being a little bit more forgiving and accepting of yourself and like all of your flaws and faults and the worst things you feel like about yourself. Um, you know, everybody's going to have days that just completely crash and the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you're going to establish a bit better of a plan and hopefully it'll go better for you. Um, but I think right now, the aside from some of the things we've talked about, I think one of the biggest things people can do and is really just be a bit nicer, a bit nicer to yourself and not be so self-critical with that, uh, like that feeling of like, man, I didn't get anything done in, during the day where it's like, you've been working pretty hard for about seven to eight hours here. You're just not completely done yet. So take it easy. I love that. You're absolutely right. And I am certainly guilty of always striving for perfection and being frustrated when I fall short because it's, of course, an an unattainable goal. But, um, But I do also appreciate having a general plan for my day, especially now when all of the routines and rituals that I'm accustomed to are completely out the window. And for people that are accustomed to having structure of packing the kids up, taking them to school, driving to work, and having a bit of structure... I love what you're saying about self-care and self-love right now. So critical, but also giving people a little bit of sense of control over their day and saying generally, you know, how would you like this day to unfold and what would you hope to get accomplished? And then to your point, if you don't get it all done, that's okay because we get to try again tomorrow. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, uh, I think go ahead. I think I think one of the one of the things that we can all do right now is is like providing an action plan like what can I do right now if I'm listening to this you know at nighttime and my new day is not till tomorrow um, what's one thing I can put on there is I, I think we could get a lot out of um, 
keeping in contact with some of our, our aging population, whether it's your neighbor across the street, if you have grandparents or parents that are still around, um, you know, it could be while you're cooking dinner, setting aside just a, a quick five minute phone call to check in with people that don't live with people and are probably super lonely right now. I love that. I love that. Um, and you're right. That's meal prep is the perfect time to be on the phone, uh, which is typically when I call my 94 year old grandmother or I do it when I'm out walking my dogs. And yes, she and her facility is in a lockdown and many of our folks in assisted living and similar facilities are in lockdown. So they are craving that human connection. Um, I love that. Thanks for sharing and that. It's, yeah. That and it's, it's something too. You always, you know, I, I try to call, I have spoken with you. I know you're pretty uh, appropriately regimented with like, Hey, you know, this time is my time for family calls. And I've seen you program that into your schedule uh, really well. Um, I've tried to do the same thing. And I know every once, you know, I'll go a week or something or I'll miss it. And I, you always forget how good you feel after you get to talk to somebody um, in that, in that space. So that's right. Maybe we could all just be a little less stingy with our uh, listening skills and our uh, our attention towards other humans right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, Thomas, there's so much I didn't get into that I want to talk to you about, but I, I'd also promise you that we would keep this within the hour. So the last question I just want to ask you is, um, you know, what are some recent books that you've read, blog articles, videos? Like, what are a few things that recently have just really touched you, impacted you, things that you want other people to see or read? So uh, I'm glad you said that at first because that opens the door for us to have more podcast talks. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So the next book up in my queue, I am I couldn't be more excited to read this book. I've, I've skimmed through it a little bit already, and my wife's uh, working on it right now. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. And uh, Have you read it? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So that's that's high up there. I'm very excited to get into that Um, through our functional medicine training and uh, work through energy work. I'm doing more and more investigation. My wife is currently uh, finishing up a a couple year certification in something called visceral manipulation. So your viscera is is basically your internal organs, right? So we think about. health and wellness in the sports world. And, you know, most of the time it goes to like stronger posterior chain, better ankle mobility, uh, good posture, you know, these very tangible things that are are definitely important. But when you start to think about the organs, you know, when you were a fetus, the first thing to develop were those organs. And you take a fetus in a, a very difficult environment, for example, you know, maybe perhaps the carrying mother was around a lot of toxic pollution where they lived or was under, had undergone a tremendous amount of stress from perhaps trying to go through that whole process on her own, for example. But you have memories and emotion that imprints on some of those organs before you had cognitive development. Wow. And as crazy as that sounds, yeah, the, the visceral manipulation, which is not the best, you know, uh, name for it because it sounds like it sounds like somebody's playing with your guts um (laughs) not the best way but visceral manipulation is this really uh soft blend of 
of Western medicine and an Eastern energy, like listening approach to working on all the sphincters, all the, the interconnections between your organs. And, um, if somebody has, what's really cool is working in, you know, in, in energy work, if somebody is, you had mentioned dis- hormone disruption in terms of uh, dysregulation earlier, when you eat a big meal, um, say somebody has issues um, afterwards digesting, it might be simply that uh, somewhere in one of their organs, uh, say their liver or their pancreas, they have a disruption in, in how things are able to be released hormone-wise. Uh, and it, whereas, once again, just like this energy work, it sounds all hokey pokey until you start doing, you know, a little bit more reading and education in it. Um, so I've started to scratch the surface on some of that stuff and reading and um, like hearing myself say talk, say a lot of this stuff out loud. I'm like, I really need to go and give my wife a hug after this because she Aww. leads me towards so many really good things. She opens my eyes to them. But um, so that's, yeah, between... Uh, that body keeps a scorebook and then doing some more investigation into, into visceral work is, is probably where most of my attention is right now. I love it. What's funny and the universe works this way is you are the third person in my life in the last week to say those same comments about how we have these crazy earlier imprints from, you know, birth to even three years old, uh, that we are not consciously aware that will manifest itself in so many amazing and incredible and surprising and scary ways. And, uh, this is of course why I'm such a big believer in the body work and in therapy and in self-investigation, because sometimes those things can lurk in our blind spots and can be driving the bus for us without our awareness. And so I love that you're getting into the actual physical application of it too, and not just the the self-reflection aspect of it, but actually the physiological imprints of those things. And um, if, if we don't think that we're holding trauma in our bodies, we've got another thing coming. Um, I was just talking to a yoga teacher just a couple of days ago who was talking about where we hold certain stresses in different places in our body. And she was specifically talking about the hips and those organs in that area, which is exactly what you're talking about. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's look at the hips. Are, is such a that's a, a such a common topic that comes up in uh, in like a, a a yoga class because look at how much you know the hip is a ball and socket joint just like the shoulder. And if you're sitting there right now and you take your right arm and you do a big arm circle, you're like, wow, that's a lot of space that I've just moved my hand through in relation to you know what it can do. And then you look at the hip, and whereas you know, the ball and socket isn't as forgiving to these larger amplitude movements. It's still, a, you know, a something that can internally rotate, externally rotate, flex, extend, do all this really cool stuff. And especially for like the runners and the cyclists out there that maybe haven't started to dive into some more of this body work and uh, in flexibility, mobility work, you're largely just moving your legs in this pretty small range of motion. And then you go into a yoga class and you get into goddess pose and you find yourself sobbing as you're leaving the class wondering like, what the heck happened to me? Yep. That'll catch a person off guard real quick. Won't it? (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's so cool. I think, uh, I think you end up teaching, you know, what you crave to learn more about yourself. So, uh, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of like my general life thought at the moment. Um, wow, as a, that's actually really powerful. 
yeah, as I've tried to, I'm, I tried to figure out, I'm like, why sometimes I think I'm like, why do I have like seven jobs? This doesn't seem normal. Um, you know, for what we've been programmed normal to be, but uh, I guess everybody just has their different path to, to self-exploration. You know, it's funny you say that too, Thomas, and I know that you and I are, are kindred spirits in many, many ways, but I've always struggled with that too, because I really have a hard time when you just put me in one box and want me to just do only one thing. That's not where I thrive. And I've always wondered why, why am I this jack of all trades? Is it just because I'm easily distractible? Am I chasing the next shiny thing? Do I have this squirrel syndrome that I can't ever quite lock myself down? Even when I went to law school and became a lawyer, I still wanted to teach spin class. I still wanted to coach cyclists. I couldn't just wear the one hat and I've just never been capable of that. And so I would just throw out this book that I love and I read about it and they even have a a term for it, which I can't recall right now, but it's called how to be everything. And um, it talks about like, it's, it's not shaming you um, how to be everything, a guide for those who still don't know. And it's fantastic. Uh, And she talks about how there are just some of us who, for whatever reason, that's just how we're wired. It's totally okay. Um, Sometimes we reach a level of mastery in something and we want to move on to something else. And society thinks we're crazy for that, but it's just, it's just what feeds us. So anyway, you might want to add that to your reading list. No, I definitely um, will. And it's, I think it just, it's just this, this process. So I'll tell you briefly, I've added um, with a lot of the athletes I coach um, a purposeful gratitude practice um, in, in usually oh, built into their it. rest and mobility day. And I'll write up a, a script, you know, something to the effect of, all right, today we're going to focus on you know, a mentor, it could have been a boss or it could have been somebody that, you know, you haven't, um, directly mentored under, but you've just found a lot of guidance from, you know, craft something, uh, whether you deliver it to them or not in written or electronic format and spend about 10 minutes writing and people return back the stuff that it almost, you know, I've been brought to tears. It's some of this stuff's been so beautiful and, you know, the, the feedback that I've, I've gotten from, and it's like, dude, when I signed up to, to work with you, you know, I thought we were going to get faster and I, and I have been, but I didn't expect to develop as much as a person. And I think that's where, what you just alluded to is that, um, is, you know, on paper, on a CV, on a resume is being a spin instructor going to make you a better trial lawyer. No, you know, not on paper, Practically, is it going to make you a better trial lawyer? One thousand percent, yes. Management, right. like under stress, you know, figuring out how to address people of all different calibers and and, right. and backgrounds. So, yeah, it's it's got to be all connected somehow. I guess we're just on this this path to figure out the how and the why. Totally, yeah. Which, what a ride, right? Like, what a journey, what a ride. None of us gets out of here alive. That's the beauty of of it. In my mind, is just how we fill up what time we've got here. And, uh, this has been so fun. I was looking forward to this all day. I've been a little spun up myself, kind of walking around in circles in my house a little bit. Uh, I knew that talking with you was going to ground me. It did. I certainly hope that our listeners feel the same experience, that same sensation, a little bit of relief. I can't recommend you enough as a coach and, uh, as someone who just addresses the whole human, the whole athlete, not just the doer part, but the being part as well. So I will have links to your website and ways that people can find you on the maximum enthusiasm website. 
We will get this episode up in the next couple days. And yes, you are absolutely right. We have so teed this up for a round two in the future. And I look forward to that interview as well. Awesome. Let's do it. I appreciate your radiant nature. Uh, You're a person that I see and I'm like, okay, I feel better about myself. So uh, keep doing you and let's, uh, let's keep figuring this thing out together. Amen, my friend. Stay safe out there. Stay well. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.